Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Happy Father's Day, everybody. I'm so thankful for uh, the men of this church and the dads in our church who take on that call uh, to be dad uh, so uh, seriously and full of fun and so wonderfully. And I uh, just look up to you. Thank you for the example uh, that you set and are setting. And uh, um, every dad in here knows none of us are perfect. And uh, you being here today demonstrates uh, to your family that you know you're not perfect. Uh, but there is one who is perfect and uh, his name is God, and he is made visible through Jesus Christ. And as our children call on the name of Dad, we can call on the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news, everybody? And we can point our kids to uh, the perfect ones. So come on, uh, church, just put your hands together for all the dads in the room. Way to go, guys, everybody. Uh, you know who else is amazing in this ch- church is our kids and our students. Um, uh, two groups of them got back the last two weeks. They did service trips to camps in Missouri where they were making a difference at a camp we have a relationship with. Uh, they're the same camp that our kids' small groups uh, go off to every summer. And uh, they were do- they're just doing a bunch of labor and hard work and taking apart decks and putting them back together and staining and picnic tables and bug bites and the whole bit, everything. And so glad to have them back and so awesome to uh, just love that our students don't just take in, but they serve, they share their faith. Uh, they serve on dream teams, you know, the, the, the ministries that, that make this church happen. It's uh, the dream of this church that uh, we would see generations serving one another so that uh, adults serving kids and kids serving adults. And that's why you see uh, students uh, on our uh, dream teams who uh, lead us in worship, stand at the doors and greet people and uh, take care of so many seen and unseen things. That's why you drop your kids in RBFK and there's a couple adults in there, but there's also a, a student helper and uh, it's just a generation serving one another, and it's awesome to be, uh, be seeing that happen in our church. So way to go. Uh, we are in a series, a sermon series, uh, that's asking a big question that a lot of people are asking, and that is, where are we in the course of human history and the course of human life? Um, every, everyone agrees that life on earth as we know it cannot and will not last forever that there's going to be a big change, there's going to be an end. No matter what your worldview is, uh, we can all agree on that. And Christianity steps in and asks the question, as the Bible explains what will happen in the end, where are we on that narrative? Like, are we near the end? Are we at the end of the end? Are we at the beginning of the end? What time is it? What time is it? And so we're going to take a look today as a part of this series in a book of the Bible that's all about the end times. And uh, it's, you've probably heard of it, it's pretty wild, it's got dragons and beasts and things with multiple heads and the number 666 and all sorts of numbers and symbols. Uh, You can read about 12 stars and 10 horns and 7 heads and 6 wings and judgments and there's all sorts of different stuff. It's the last book of the Bible called Revelation. 
And the best way to open up a topic about the book of Revelation is to read the first words of the book of Revelation. And I put them in your outline or on the app or on the screen. Uh, They say, the revelation, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I really like this next part because it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So that's, I'm blessed today. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you very much, God. And then, and then next, check this out. Blessed are those who hear it. That's you. And take to heart what is written in it. So not just take it to the head, but take to heart what's written in it. And then why are we doing this? Because the time is near. What time is it? The time is near. And so today my goal is to teach you how to read the book of Revelation. Because once you know how to read it, uh, you can take it to heart and it will build your faith. Some of the most faith-filled people I know are those who know how to read the book of Revelation. It just fuels and feeds their faith. And, uh, and the truths of this book have even become another anchor uh, in, in their life uh, of faith and their life in this world. And so I want you to be able to take the book of Revelation and let it feed your faith. And what we learn from this very first statement of the book of Revelation is that it's all about Jesus Christ. It's the first statement in the thing. This is the revelation of or the revelation from Jesus Christ, that it's all about him. Why? Because Jesus Christ uh, is how we know God. It's how we know God's plan. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the plan. If you've uh, seen me, if you can find me, and I'm not that hard to find, but you found the way, you found the way to truth, you found the way to life. And Christ is so crucial here in Colossians 1. It tells us why. Because Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Christ. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So that's interesting. The Bible tells us all the time, and we know this, that there's another realm. There's something happening in a spiritual world. Let's continue on in this verse. So he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. The person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, would say that you've got to learn how to focus on what you can't see because it's more eternal. It's even more real. It's a paradox. How do I focus on the things I can't see? But it's very real. And it's very real, if not more so, the war that's going on in the spiritual is very real, just as real, if not more so, is when we stand under fluorescent lights and shop at Walmart and Target and watch feeds on our phone and watch television and go to work and go to church. There's something very real that we can't see going on in the midst of all that, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Very powerful. So we're going to look at the, at the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, through that lens. And I want to help you uh, read it in such a way that builds your faith. 
So let me give you a little bit of the backstory. The book of Revelation was written by uh, the apostle or the disciple John, who is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. You know, Jesus called 12 disciples to follow him, and John is the last one living. The first one who died was Judas, who took his own life after he betrayed Jesus. Uh, The other 10 all died the death of martyrs. They were tortured and killed uh, for what they believed. Not only what they believed, but what they say they saw. They were so certain they saw Jesus alive after he was crucified on the cross that they were willing, out of that certainty, to be tortured and killed for that. And John is the last living disciple, the last living apostle. And he is uh, alive in an era where an emperor uh, says uh, to everyone, I want you to worship me as God. That I am Lord and God and I want you to worship me as God. And John responded to the emperor by saying, well, I've actually seen God and you ain't him and I'm not going to bow to you. And so John was punished. John was exiled to a island called the Isle of Patmos uh, where he was made a prisoner there and it's in the Mediterranean Sea. People say it's absolutely absolutely beautiful. It's part of the Greek islands, and they say it's a beautiful place. Not so beautiful when you get shoved into a cave on the island for months and months and months on end, but to this day, you could go to the cave where John was held and where he got this revelation uh, of Jesus Christ, and uh, this is about 62 years or so after the resurrection. It's about 95 AD, and he gets this revelation that I want to break down for you today. I want to break it down into five sections to help you understand it. And what these five sections do is they help us see Jesus. The full name of this book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And when that finally clicked for me, it totally changed the way I see the end times. Uh, It's changed the way I read scripture. Uh, It's changed the way I've even made decisions in my life. That we sometimes think the book of Revelation is all about the Antichrist and uh, this beast and the battle of Armageddon and all these things we've heard of. And while all those things are in there, that is not what the book is about. The book, as the first statement tells us, it's about Jesus. So I want to give you an outline of this book to show you who Jesus is in each section. If you're taking notes, um, what we see in the first part is Revelation 1 through 3, where Jesus gives these seven letters to seven churches. So he's telling John, I want you to tell these seven churches these things. I thought about what would Jesus, if he wrote us a letter, what would he say to Rockbrook? Thought about doing the message that way. I'm going to do that another time. But what we see in uh, the first section of Revelation 1 through 3 is Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. John has had this vision, and he starts talking about the return of Christ the second coming of Christ, where he comes back with the believers that he's raptured, that he's snatched away. He's coming back with his church. It says everyone will see him. Revelation 1, 7 through 8, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. And it goes on to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, if he were to say this in our language today, he would say, I'm the A and the Z. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter 
of the Greek alphabet. And what he's saying is, I was there in the beginning. God used me to create everything. I'm already there in the end. It's written into the word of God. If you ever get concerned or worried or things are going off of my path or haywire, I've already been there in the end. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. And if you're a Christian, this is incredibly comforting. John goes on with this vision of Jesus in verse 14. And he's saying, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. What in the world? How do you hold seven stars in your right hand? And what we start to discover here is the book of Revelation is full of of symbolism. There's a ton of symbolism in it. Why is there so much symbolism? Well, there's several different reasons. One of the reasons is because it was a way uh, to protect this book, this revelation from the enemies who were trying to eliminate uh, all the New Testament books and all the letters, all the prophecy, uh, all the the Christian literature that the church was building their faith on. They were trying to eliminate it. And so this apocalyptic form of writing uh, protected it because if you don't uh, know the rest of scripture, all of, none of this stuff really even makes any sense. I was just impressed recently as I read through the book of Revelation. It's kind of the first time it just wasn't tremendously weird and otherworldly to me because I'd been studying the rest of the Bible and it's just that all the symbolism was matching up and things were falling into place. But if you don't know that, you don't know what this apocalyptic form of writing really, really is. So it protected uh, the book. Uh, another reason for the symbolism and the pictures is because it's transferable. A, a beast is kind of hits every generation at every time a certain way. It's emotional. It hits at the soul level. And another reason for the symbolism is John is seen into the future. He's seen into another realm. And he's seen things like, how do I describe that? How do I say what that is? He's seen Uh, technology and society changes how do you describe that to people in the first century and so he John sounds kind of like a teenage girl throughout the book because he's like it was like that and then it was like this and it was like that and I was like whoa and then it was like this and there's just a lot of symbolism and a lot of ways to try and convey something that um, that you don't know it unless you see it so what I want to do is show you how to read this because a lot of people when they see all this symbolism they they start throwing out common sense and you can find no end to YouTube videos and history channel stuff and everything in between uh, that people have just thrown out common sense and have even thrown out where John describes what he saw and what the symbolism is uh, so it's good to uh, maybe have a good study Bible with you when you read the book of Revelation I put at the end of your outline a resource that I really liked. It's Tom Holliday's walk through Revelation and his drive time devotionals. And uh, he does a great job. Um, but for instance, so where are we? We're talking about he's holding seven stars. And if you just read on, John will tell you what the seven stars are. They represent the seven angels of the seven churches he's writing to. He goes on to say, out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. So that we know that's the word of God. Uh, According to the Bible, the word of God is this double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
when I saw him, duh, I fell at his feet. I fell at his feet as though dead. And this is really interesting because Jesus just had a special friendship with John. You read through the Gospels and Jesus was continually letting John into uh, just a a personal space in his life and with his family. In fact, even on the cross, Jesus uh, gives his mother over to John to be cared for by him. And um, that John was just Jesus' favorite. And we know that because John tells us that. But he, he was. And, but in this moment, he's not seeing Jesus as this good old buddy, as this friend. He's seeing Jesus just unveiled and he just falls on his face in worship before him in fear. And what does Jesus do? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. And maybe that needs to land in your heart somewhere today. That as we approach this wild book and as we talk about Revelation and even in your own life as you walk into maybe new places or a new season in your life or a new job or you're just walking into where you are in life and and you see the world around you and you see what's happening, that Jesus is reaching out his hand to you, just as he is with John, and he's saying, do not be afraid. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, meaning I took on death and the grave. That this answers the question everyone's asking is, where's the key? Who holds the keys to my peace? Who's going to fill this void, uh, the spiritual hunger I have? Who holds the keys to my life? I'm going to die one day. Who holds the keys to the decision over my life? Where do I find life and fulfillment and peace? And Jesus says, I took on death and the grave. I went to hell and I came back out with your keys. I came back out with the keys to life. It's the gospel again and again through Revelation. And if you see Jesus in Revelation, it will build your faith. So section one shows us he's the alpha and the omega. That's chapters one through three. Now when you read chapters four and five, you want to ask yourself, who is Jesus in four and five? And the answer is, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the lamb of God. Uh, 28 times in, Je- in Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. You've maybe heard of uh, him being referenced as that before. What does that mean? He's the lamb of God. What does that mean? Uh, Revelation says he's the Lamb of God who's worthy to open up the scroll. So what we see in Revelation 4 and 5 is there's this giant scroll uh, that's sealed with seven seals. And this scroll is like a last will and testament. It's the final declaration of all that is to come. And, it, 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 all that's, and all that is to happen to the people on earth. And for that to get going, the scroll has to be opened. And so an angel announces who is worthy to open up this scroll because to break those seals, you had to have the authority to break those seals. And no one had the authority. No one was worthy. And they begin looking all over heaven for someone who's worthy to open up this scroll. And 
when you read it, you see the power in it. You see that things have just have climaxed and built to this big moment where if this thing's supposed to tip over and turn the other way and move into God making things right, someone's got to open up this scroll and no one's worthy to do it. And John starts breaking down and grieving and sobbing. And then it says this in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Remember, Jesus was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and they sang a new song. I love it that every time you get into the throne room of God, you see him uniting people together and the hope and the unity just breaks into a celebration, breaks out into song. You are worthy to take the scroll and and open its seals. Here's the gospel again, because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this would have been incredibly powerful imagery for John's readers, because they would have remembered when John the Baptist, who, a different John who announced Jesus Christ, said, here's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. They would have remembered back to the temple system where they, you'd have to sacrifice a, a, a lamb and for the, the blood covering, for to be acceptable to God, that that sacrifice would cover your sin. They would remember back to when the nation of Israel started and they're trying to flee Egypt and God is sending a death angel to, to go over the land of Egypt and every firstborn in every household was going to die but God told the Jews you don't have to die no one in your household has to die if you take the the blood of the lamb and smear it over the doorpost the death angel would pass over their house Passover and everyone would be saved and then when their homes were covered with the blood of the lamb they would be spared all the way back in the Old Testament it's foreshadowing Jesus, the Lamb of God on the cross, covering for our sin, a just sacrifice for our sin, foreshadowing all the way into the future of when someone has to be worthy enough to open the scroll. Who is Jesus in Revelation? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. Now, this third section of Revelation is, if you've never read any of Revelation before, this this is where the stuff you've heard about is. 666 the Antichrist, the beast, the battle of Armageddon. That's where all this is happening. And what you want to remember when you read this section is that Jesus is the righteous judge. Let me tell you about um, some of the high points before I get to that list on your outline of this section. In Revelation 11, it talks about how the temple in Israel uh, is going to be rebuilt. Uh, What's interesting about that is right now in Jerusalem, at the Temple Mount where that temple should be, There's a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock, which is one of the most holy sites in all of Islam. But one day the temple of God will be rebuilt there, so some amazing things will have to happen for that mosque to be taken down and the temple, Jewish temple, be built there again. Uh, In Revelation 13 through 16, this is where the Antichrist comes into power. You've probably heard about the Mark of the Beast. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, And this is where that's for a one world currency and to be able to buy and sell in that currency, um, you would take on the mark of the beast. Now, if you're looking for that, because the Antichrist has started this one world currency. Now, if you're looking for the word Antichrist in Revelation, you're not going to find it. Um, John uses that word in other writings of his that he contributed to the New Testament Um, but in Revelation, he uses the word beast, and 
we're going to see in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist, this beast, is killed, brought back to life, imitates the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to get people to follow him. And then in Revelation 16, uh, the beast, the Antichrist, mobilizes the world's armies against Israel, and it describes armies moving from the north and the south and the east to come against Israel, and this material war turns into a spiritual battle against God. But Jesus comes back with the host of heaven right in the nick of time and, uh, and saves Israel. And so that's called the Battle of Armageddon. And as you read 6 through 18, you see Jesus as the righteous judge, and he starts issuing three different judgments that are issued on the earth. Uh, the first one is called the seal judgments, uh, and that's where you read about the four riders of the apocalypse, and the moon turns to blood red, and, you, and just blood from war, and now about a quarter of the world's population will die from famine and plagues and wild beasts. The second of the judgments are known as the trumpet judgments. You see hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky, poisonous locusts, a third of the vegetation is destroyed, a third of the water is contaminated, a third of the sea creatures die, a third of the light is lost, a third of the world dies. It's a bad time. But remember, all throughout this time, God is giving an invitation to be saved. You can still be saved. You can still receive grace if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, even in the middle of these judgments. And the third set of judgments are known as the bowl judgments, uh, where sores... um, will appear on people who uh, did take on the mark of the beast. Water turns blood to blood. Everything in it dies. Uh, the sun uh, rages with a fervent heat. It scorches people. Devastating earthquakes hit. Uh, it describes a 100-pound hail falling from the sky. And if you're like most people who get to this part in Scripture or hear this, you say, I, that's not what I thought was in here. That's not the God I thought I was following. That's not the God of love I worship. That's not the Jesus that I thought I knew. And what a lot of people will say is that's not fair. That's not love. And Pastor Kelly did an amazing job last week of talking about fairness and judgment And judgment is one of the (laughs) reasons, Jesus being a righteous judge is one of the reasons we turn to God. Because we want to be spared. We want him to make all things right, and we want to be spared and forgiven. It's why we turn to him. And this, this is the moment where God is dealing with unforgiven sin. It's why he so desperately wants you to believe and trust in Christ. Because he's gonna have to deal with unforgiven sin one day. He doesn't, if he doesn't, eternity would be horrible because it would be just like earth he wants eternity in heaven the new heaven and the new earth to be spotless to be sinless to be amazing and to do that he's got to eradicate evil and he's got to judge this is love this is love judgment is not the opposite of love anger is not the opposite of love judgment and anger are not the opposite of love there, there's certain things that happen. When there's a terrorist attack on your nation, it angers you, right? Because you love your friends and family. Anger's not the opposite of love. Hate is. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. 
And Jesus is not indifferent. That's why he went, he went to the cross to justly pay for our sin, for us to be forgiven. He is a righteous judge. Thank God we need a righteous judge. And we need someone who will come in and judge unforgiven sin and eradicate this earth of sin. And that's what he promises to do. And this is the time in history where God says, I am now through Jesus judging the world for its sinfulness. And, and even knowing we would question this, it puts this in 16.5. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. You are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged. Who is Jesus? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. Who is Jesus in section four? Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. If this were written today, it'd say he's the president of presidents. He's the prime minister of prime ministers. He's the King of Kings. He rules over it all. He has the final word. And when you read Revelation and see Jesus as the King of Kings, it will build your faith. Chapter 19, verse 11, John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Remember John opened up his gospel saying in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, his name is the word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp a sharp sword, the word of God, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is Jesus? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's a righteous judge. He's the King of Kings. He's the Word of God with the final word. And this last one is really quite amazing because as we get this accurate view of who Jesus is through Revelation, this last view of who he is not only depicts who, who he is, but in so doing depicts who we are to him. So who, who are we to Christ in these last days? How, is the, how does the Bible end describing who we are to God? And it gives a picture of Jesus in relationship to us that is so close it's such a close covenant. It's such a commitment that he wanted us to be full of grace and faith and confidence today of who we are in this story. And if you're taking notes through Revelation 21 through 22, Jesus is the bridegroom, which means we are the bride. In the last two chapters of the book, we see Jesus as the bridegroom. We are the bride. The, the Bible teaches us this principle because throughout scripture, it talks about how marriage is two becoming one. And at the end of the day, you can't really separate that. And so when he uses a, a symbol, a word picture to describe who we are to him in those last days is we belong to him. There is a commitment to us and a commitment to him that is so close. 
Revelation 21, 9 through 10 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's the church for those of us who are Christians. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is the new heaven, the new earth, where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more crime, no more sin, no more terror. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Yes, you get to belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what is this King of kings saying to us today? What's he saying at the end of the book of Revelation? It's what he's saying all through scripture to those who do not know him. Come to me. Come to me. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. It says, come you who are thirsty. And you will never thirst again. Those who have a spiritual thirst, a hunger in your life, a void that needs to be filled, peace that needs to be made, come to me, he says, drink of this and you will never thirst again. And we say, well, I'm not good enough to come. And God says, whoever you are, wherever you are, come to me today. Turn to Christ and experience the grace of Jesus. Scripture goes on to say, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And what do we say in response? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. How's the book of Revelation end? How's the Bible end? With grace, unmerited favor, unearned salvation for those who would turn and come to Christ. It's amazing. And that's why when you read the book of Revelation in light of who Jesus is, if you're a Christian, you do not need to be afraid because he is coming soon. When you look at the condition of the world and the things where things are headed, if you're a believer, you hear Christ saying, do not be afraid. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm the righteous judge. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. And I'm the bridegroom who's coming to take his church to be with him forever. May the grace of God, may the grace of God be with God's people forever and ever. And the church said, amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this unveiling today of who Jesus Christ is. I pray that each of us um, would just have a, a clear picture of Christ and in the name of Jesus, I just cast off anything that is disrupting that view for us today. I just pray against anything that is distorting the view of who God is. And maybe you recognize today that Jesus Christ is the one that you're looking for.
I pray that you'd open up your life to him, that you would say to him today, God, forgive me. Show me what it means to place my faith in the blood shed on the cross. Give me new life and eternal life that you've promised. Maybe you've been a believer, but you still hunger or fear. I pray that you would receive the message today to not fear, that you have no need to fear, but a great opportunity for faith, that you would worship him because he is worthy. God, thank you for your plan for us. Help us to find our rest in you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.